0: This is Ali Amagasu welcoming you to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today's guest is yet another person from the Cisco DevNet organization. His name is Ashley Roach, and he is the principal engineer and evangelist, or a principal engineer and evangelist on the DevNet team. Welcome, Ashley.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. I appreciate you um, coming right on the heels of another devnet interview but uh, I think you're going to have some things to add uh, that your colleague uh, Hank did not so I appreciate you joining us anyway and um yeah, let's start don't worry, see out, let's start by finding out how I got in, how you got into tech
1: yeah so you know my story is is a little unconventional I guess um, I, you know, I don't have a formal CS degree or, or anything like that. Um, a lot of what I've learned is is basically self-taught. Um, having said that, uh, I did take a couple of computer science classes in uh, in university. But, you know, ever since I was a little kid, my dad has uh, been kind of interested in computers as they evolved. Um, and so, you know, I had a like a Timex Sinclair. That was, I remember, my first computer. And that was like... You recorded your, you know, your, your state was stored on a, a cassette <laughs> that you plugged and you plugged into an old TV and, you know, had to go to channel three and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, all the way through sort of Apple IIcs cs and then IBMs and, you know, kind of now we're back to the Mac world. So um, along the way, you know, I learned, um, I learned, you know, more basic stuff, you know, logo and all those kinds of things. And then um, more when I got into into college, I got more into sort of the programming side of things. So, um, you know, I took a couple those couple classes. That was like C, um, and so that was really cool. Um, and I got into sort of networking things with that. We were like networking our computers together to play Doom um, in our dorm. Uh, so that was that was very nerdy, um, <laughs> but fun. And uh, and then one of my buddies actually from college, he, he actually works, I think he works at Salesforce now, he does like identity management. Um, and uh, so Ian, and I ran into at one point and I said, hey, man, I was at the Mac user group uh, meeting and the Mac user group meeting, they had this thing called Gopher 2 and Gopher 2, they were loading images in like the browser, the Gopher browser. And he said, oh, okay, you think that's cool? Check out this thing, like, called the World Wide Web. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's actually, like, much much more interesting than, you know, Gopher. So I said, oh, well, you know, I, I'm just learning sort of some of this programming stuff. You know, what's the deal? And he said, oh, it's pretty straightforward. You should be able to learn it. So um, at the time, I actually had uh, been in france like right before that um i I spent a semester over there and then i wanted to get a job uh where i could kind of combine some french um with technology uh, while i was still in college so there was a local or an institute as part of the university that was focused on sort of like french american uh, relations and sure enough they wanted someone to build a website um so i said hey i don't know how to do that but i can learn (laughs) and they were like sure that's cool um, so, you know, basically I, I had this, um, you know, college job where I, I taught myself and learned that stuff with like mosaic browser and, you know, really all the archaic stuff. So I'm obviously dating myself, but, um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's been kind of the evolution. And then after that, I was like, I did two jobs as like a system administrator. Um, one of them was out here in Denver um doing uh, we set up the first network for historic photo preservation within colorado uh called the photo digitization project so if you go to like the denver public library website you can go browse now it's all web-based um and it was funny because when i went there i was like hey why are you doing this like weird network thing why don't you do it just over the web and they're like oh well that's this was what we did the grant for so (laughs) we have to complete that part of it um so i actually built like an e-commerce uh, an e-commerce platform for that, which was, uh, sorry, it sounds way better than it actually was, which was basically a form that they could submit uh, and say, hey, I want to buy this thing. And then we would call them because none of the infrastructure for doing credit card processing was available uh, at that time. So we just, you know, took the orders manually. But uh, yeah, that that kind of evolved and then um, ended up moving to Vermont and uh, doing, Got a system administrator job up there, and then ran basically the network and PCs for a small university. Uh, and then I came back to Denver, did uh, business school, so I have an MBA um, around you know entrepreneurship basically. Uh, and then joined two startups, tech startups, and before I joined Cisco. So I did. Uh, I was at Jabber. Um, I was one of the uh, server product managers, uh, or I was the server product manager for a couple years there. Uh, before I left, and then I went to a company called Newsgator, and I was doing product management there um, around our uh, kind of enterprise integration with uh, SharePoint. So, and then when I was over there, uh, Jabber got acquired by Cisco, and, you know, I had some connections there, and my boss was like, hey, you want to come, you know, do, do the Cisco thing? And I was like, okay. Uh, so, I'd never worked in a big company, really, other than government stuff, and uh, I was like, not sure i'd last that long honestly because i was like oh, i don't know it's going to be slow and whatever um but it turned out to be pretty cool um i started in collab and then when devnet was spinning up I, you know i, I moved into devnet and kind of was one of the first hires there to help build devnet out so uh it's been it's been fun uh, to get to this point now where we're we're really cranking okay
0: i hear you on that joining the big company and worrying that it's slow uh, you know, I don't right. want to be a total Cisco promo, but I came here when uh, Cisco acquired MetaCloud four years ago. Okay, yeah. And you know, I same thing. I thought I was leaving right away. <laughs> I was like, I'm not <clears> going to <throat> stick around <throat> and be part of that enormous uh, corporation. But it has been, uh, you know, and I've worked at a lot. I've actually worked at a lot of big companies, um, and it's been one of the best groups of people that I've ever worked with. And uh, yeah, it doesn't move as, as quickly as a startup, but it uh, I think it has a lot of uh, excellent upside that offsets that, you know. Um Yeah, so.
1: yeah I agree. I agree. Like we're at home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That makes a big difference. So, you know, I, I did interview your your colleague Hank uh, Preston for our last show, as I mentioned. Yeah. And he you know, he explained that he works on the infrastructure, you know, developer space within within DevNet. And explain you're in more the the app developer space, um, yeah. so I'm hoping you can you can talk a little bit about what's going on there, what you guys are working doing to work with developers sure. or with network engine you know network engineers that want to understand more about development, and mm-hmm. want to get involved with DevNet. Um, if you could talk a little bit about that, that would be terrific. And and later we'll talk about your podcast because I know that's something you're passionate okay. about as well.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So the the application developer space is interesting. So um, You know, to be totally transparent, I mean, when we go to hackathons or we go to events, people often ask us, like, why is Cisco here (laughs) if we're in a if we're at a like a true application developer one? And, um, you know, for for a certain period of time, it was like, yeah, well, you guys need servers and stuff, too. Right. Right. but you know, more and more, we've been able to build up, I think, a more interesting portfolio that can support, um, that are more platform-oriented for application developers. So um, you know, MetaCloud you know, was kind of one of those first forays, I think, into that space. You know, we've got, uh, but, but we've also got in collaboration, um, you know, Cisco Spark, and um, the capabilities there, but then you know you flip around to Meraki, and Meraki has kind of interesting stories around doing indoor location and location analytics and all this sort of stuff. So um, you know, as we kind of thought and matured, I think in DevNet, when we started, we're like, hey, you know, we have a we have an audience, right, of Cisco, um, you know, CCIEs, CCNAs, you know, people that are passionate about infrastructure and the capabilities that we offer. Um, but we also want to, we also want to reach out to application developers to, to create kind of interesting solutions, not just on those things, but combining lots of other technologies as well. Um, and so, you know, what we've done in, and we're kind of soft launching this is we've created an application developer area on our website. And that, um, that area, we, we basically have crafted around use cases. So. If you're building, um, you know, web development projects where you want to do things like embed video into your application, um, and not like YouTube type video, but this kind of video, right, where you're interacting with another person, or you're wanting to look at kind of real time streaming of a camera in some location, then um, we have capabilities with the Cisco Spark SDK, um, as well as some other, you know, of the security kind of SDKs and APIs that are out there. So that a web developer could integrate that sort of thing. Um, similarly, you know, with Meraki, we we have people that, when you think of if you're an app dev and you're like, "Hey, I'm I'm interested in building something with uh, location in a retail context," um, they may or may not come across Cisco, um, right? Uh, because you know, for various, they may not even think of Cisco because they're like, I'm an application developer. I think of Microsoft, Google, Apple, Amazon, you know, those are the ones we think of first. Right. And then, um, you know, and then, oh, Cisco's got some stuff too. So we're trying to break through there, right? We're trying to make it uh, compelling and interesting to those developers. Um, and so if you want, I can give you a peek of the website, um, you know, just kind of walk through it a little bit, uh, or we can keep talking as well.
0: No, it's. it's <laughs> I think it's fine. Let's, let's take a, okay. a peek uh for right. folks who are listening to this I, I apologize don't tune out i think ashley can probably do a, a good job of describing what they're showing on the, on the website yeah
1: yeah so yeah like i described a little bit um a moment ago i'm gonna hide this thing oh nope i am not gonna hide that come back where did it go doo, doo, well, doo, i can doo. see sorry. Your, i
0: can see your screen i can see the website oh i, yeah, could. I, oh, I, I could i could
1: there it flipped um no worries. Okay, cool. So so like I said, what we wanted to do is say like, hey, you know, application developers, you can actually build apps with Cisco <laughs> uh, technologies, right? And we have, you know, this is not exhaustive. We wanted to just start with kind of the ones that we think are the most interesting um, and the most uh, consumable. So things like, you know, a web developer or if you're a mobile developer or if you're doing things in IoT, you know, chatbots, that's a big uh, emphasis for, um, you know the Spark platform, and that's also a big trend in the industry, and so on. So um, what we do is we kind of preview a couple of these technologies. So um, things like here we have um, embedding video calling within a mobile or web app. We have uh, app dynamics capabilities. So if you want to monitor the performance of your app um, in mobile, we have things like being able to prioritize iOS and iOS apps traffic uh, on you know Cisco networks. So you know these are these are things that can be uh, leveraged by developers, you know, in an enterprise context or even in consumer context where you're looking at doing things around retail and so on, to um, you know just to to build those into your um, into your apps.
0: So are there videos I app, that I would I watch that are showing me how to do it?
1: Um, No, these are uh, we have we have resources like that. So we have um, tutorials in our learning labs platform. We have, you know, example code in um, GitHub, for example. So the next page in here is like, hey, here's all the web things you can do. And then let's say you want to do this um, Cisco Spark uh, react widget. Then it drops you into like this really quick tutorial of, okay, here's here's kind of a TLDR, right? I'm going to run through this real quickly. These are kind of the, the core elements that you need to achieve in order to embed and make like a video call in an app, and then you can go further and say, "Hey, I'm going to do the full tutorial or dig into the the SDK or APIs, that sort of thing." So, you know, we're like I said, we're kind of soft launching this. Um, would love to get people's feedback. If you think this is um, helpful and cool, then you know, feel free. You can tweet me. Um, you know, at, I'm just at aroach at on. Um, on Twitter, so um, yeah, so that, so we've been working hard on trying to do that and make it interesting um, for you know for developers. I'll uh, we'll flip back to to me uh, so that you know we can. It's a place to start, and we're building you know building. I think the stories there.
0: So you were talking about the fact that you're soft launching that website right now or that web page. Um, yeah. What what is our interaction with application developers right now? I mean, I assume that when they go to um, to Cisco Live or they're dealing mm-hmm. with DevNet uh, online. It's not exclusively infrastructure developers. Yeah. We have resources so for Cisco, app developers right now before that thing launches? Well,
1: that's there. Sorry. And, oh, uh, and the is. URL okay. is is at developer.cisco.com slash appdev, A-P-P-D-E-V. Okay. So um, so it's there. Um, you can go browse it. And uh, and so thanks for that reminder <laughs> to share the actual URL. Um, so. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, you know, I would say at this point, it's uh, it, you know, it's a little bit on the onus of the developer to kind of go and investigate a little bit and say like, hey, here's the things. But you know, the, the core areas are are those that I listed before are sort of web, mobile. Um, uh, let's see if I can remember them all. Location analytics, um, embedding video, and uh, we have multi-cloud. So we've done a partnership with Google uh, around. Around connecting sort of hybrid cloud stories, um, where you can run a um, you know sort of Cisco scenario with uh, Cisco cloud platform or container platform, which runs Kubernetes, which is just a pretty much vanilla Kubernetes that is optimized. Um, and I don't mean optimized in the proprietary way. It's optimized so that you can actually move workloads between Google Cloud um, GKE and our systems or use um, use things like Istio to do a service mesh on top of it to connect uh, applications or data from a cloud or an on-prem scenario and, and expose those to your customers um, in a secure way, of course, um, since security is like a big thing these days um, and should should be always. Uh, so, yeah, so that's like a, a bunch of different things. Uh, it's a little bit of the kind of laundry list of, of technologies, but, um, you know, I think, we do have customers, you know, the and partners that have been doing a lot of different integrations. We we tend to kind of put this out there at things like you know events that have hackathons. So we'll go out and we'll participate in hackathons and help people with those technologies. We actually just did one at Sea Boulder. Um, I think it was last weekend. Um, so so yeah, it's it's getting out there. We we have to go to the developers, frankly. Um, you know, even with being a big company, we, you know, we got to get out there and and expose people to the technologies that we have and, and, um, you know, help them out.
0: Do you have any idea how many developers are involved in or using DevNet right now?
1: So we have, we have roughly 450,000 registered developers. Um, I don't, to be honest, I don't have a breakdown of what that would be from a, like application developer versus infrastructure developer. In a lot of cases, um, it people will switch some as well, especially now that we've got more trends towards DevOps. So, you know, someone who might be involved in a DevOps scenario is going to do a little bit of both. Um, so I, I don't I don't have a great breakdown for you.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's okay. I'm just curious in the number overall. Yeah. That seems like a lot of developers. Um, does that mean you guys have done a huge marketing push to get this out there? Or have you just been showing up at events? Like, how has word gotten out about DevNet?
1: Yeah, uh, we certainly do marketing. I mean, you kind of have to these days. Um, the, uh, I mean, the, the competition for developer mindshare is quite fierce. Uh, in reality, there, you know, depending on which analyst you look at, there's roughly 20 million uh, professional, I think actually, yeah, professional uh, software engineers or software developers in the world um so you know that's a that's a small community in when you think about you know eight billion people <laughs> whatever overall and uh and so you know developers are in high demand and and they need they need information quickly so that's like why the website is designed to be like boom 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 um and so we we uh we do marketing we go you know we go to do as much social as we can um we you know, do this sort of stuff, um, and yeah. So I think uh, all of those things combined has helped us grow. I mean, we did have some base, right, from from uh, prior iterations of kind of Cisco's developer program, but I think when we started, it was it was around around maybe one hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred, I think, uh, if my memory serves me right. So, you know, over the last four years, we've been able to grow it, um, you know, quite a lot through. You know, through through various means.
0: Yeah, that that's still a lot that you started with. That's great.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: had no idea. Hey, speaking of marketing, yeah. um, I am aware that you have your own podcast.
1: I do. Yeah, a
0: little bit about it. Who's on it? What's it about?
1: Sure. So, it? Um, yeah, so the 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 way to see it, I do have it on iTunes now. So it's called the Dev Tools Podcast with Ashley Roach. Um, you can get through it. Uh, through iTunes, you can go straight to the website, which is devtools.libsyn, uh, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. That's the, the podcasting platform that I use. Uh, and so the theme of it is, so I'm a big fan of developer tools. And so the idea here would be um, if you're coding with a just plain Jane text editor and then running compilers manually and doing things that way, um, it's quite difficult to actually program um, and get your job done. So over the years, developer tools have been created, um, and mo- many people are familiar with the things, of course, like Visual Studio from Microsoft or um, IntelliJ and the various, you know, JetBrains IDEs. Um, that kind of developer tool, for example, you know, combines a lot of functionality for a programmer in one place. So, um, so anyway, there are thousands and thousands of these things out there that are open source. Um, Some are proprietary and commercial, but um, you know, I kind of like kicking the tires on various ones and checking things out and learning that stuff. Um, So I was like, cool, maybe I'll have a podcast where I uh, I interview a developer and ask them what their three favorite tools are for developer productivity. And then what is one thing that a developer should stop doing in order to Remain productive. Uh, So that's the format. Um, It's uh, it's a little bit. To be honest, I borrowed some of that structure from the. uh, There's a cool tools podcast from uh, Boing Boing, and uh, and they kind of do a similar a similar thing, but they're around just like all kinds of tools. And uh, so, hat tip to them. Hopefully, you know they don't get any. I don't get in trouble or something now. (laughs) But is it is it uh, hard to stick
0: to three tools? Do you have a hard time getting your guests to stick to their top three tools? Yeah.
1: It can be. It can be. So it's like, um, it's like, we start with three. And then usually there's like sub bullets to every single one of those. So you, I ran in with one guy, I think we ran through maybe 30 tools or something like that. So I'm sitting there (laughs) scrambling, like taking notes on all of them. So that even though I have to listen to the whole thing again, and edit and all that, uh, it's at least saves me some some time in, in that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I've had folks from like Circle CI. So Travis, he was really cool about. um, You know, he's a big Emacs user, so he's like, Emacs is the most productive thing ever. Um, You know, I've had other people that are like, oh, Adam, and it's uh, it's just interesting to get people's perspectives on on that kind of thing. Um, So a lot of times, you know, things like Spark or Slack, those always come up. I try not to do it super proprietary cisco stuff right because it's designed to be more of a kind of hey share share with the tool share the tools that you think are are awesome for you and uh it's not you know it's not trying to promote cisco in a you know overt way or anything like
0: that right right so do people yeah, ever talk fun. about cloud about cloud tools on there or has that come up yet because i i certainly hear for it sure? for instance you you brought up uh cisco container platform and yeah, uh, I was involved in that launch, and you know, part of the the use case we were talking through is, you know, say your uh, your logic is on prem, you know, in some mm-hmm. database, but there's a tool that you love using in the in the cloud. Well, I'm not a developer, so I'm not using tools in the cloud, but apparently there's some fantastic tools out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I'll actually go back to Travis Travis's um, interview. So he, he works at CircleCI, which is a continuous integration, continuous deployment um, product, and it's a SaaS product. So um, we talked a lot about you know, the shape of development processes when you're using CI and CD. Um, in particular, he's like, if you're not doing actual delivery to production, um, in a continuous way. And frankly, you should only be delivering to production. He was very opinionated about it. I was like, okay, um, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, I, 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 may be misquoting him entirely. So, you know, <laughs> <hopefully> Travis <laughs> will get mad at me, but it's on record, whatever, whatever he said. Um, and then, but then he's like, look, you can do things around using like feature flags. So, um, so there's a company called like launch darkly. Um, we're actually, uh, I think. Uh, one of their evangelists is coming and talking at DevNet Create. So DevNet Create's a conference that we're hosting in uh, mid-April, in uh, in Excellent. the Bay Area. So um, anyway, so we were talking a lot about, okay, so if you're if you're launching to production only, how do you how do you launch beta beta um, features, or how do you do these sorts of things? Yeah. So he's like, yeah, you got to have feature flagging. You got to be able to, you know. Um, reduce the audience size that you're going to expose that to you can do canary deployments. Um, So so that's really, you know, I think some of that tooling that's evolving around that and even so Istio and Kubernetes and some of these things have some of those features in them to help software developers with kind of this this dilemma right of how do I how do I launch faster, you know, the move fast and break things. Um, you know, it sounds good on paper. I don't think very many developers really want to do the break things part, um, right in, in production, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I understand the ethos and like what, what Zuckerberg's kind of saying about that, but, um, you know, his is like, his is more around the sort of pets versus cattle analogy, I think where it's like, Hey, let's not. Let's not treat this thing as the special snowflake, you know we need to actually iterate and we need to destroy things in order to create new things, so like sort of a Schumpeterian concept um but yeah, so you know those are those are some of the discussions we've had around cloud stuff um you know I haven't to be honest uh I haven't beyond that i, I don't not nothing else really comes to mind. I mean we've talked in a lot of cases, you know developers are working on you know their laptops or you know you know in an on-prem environment for doing the development process, and then the cloud piece maybe it comes in when they they're deploying um, for test, um, integration testing, that sort of thing. Um, but you know, I know there are there are developers out there who do um, use cloud editors like Cloud Nine and some of those kinds of things. So um, yeah. So anyway, I'll, like. Like I started just rubble about uh, developer tools, as you can tell. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm
0: filing them. a request then, or at least um, interest. Uh, and yeah. if you do have someone who talks uh, about those things, uh, let me know, and I'll definitely sure. promote it to the folks in this audience because I, I think they're well, interested in it. We're really trying to figure out, like, cool, you know, with this whole hybrid cloud situation, what is going to be the best mm-hmm. use case? What tools do we need to develop to help folks make the most of what's available in public cloud? Mm -hmm. yet use their legacy you know databases and applications that are just never going to be in the cloud and and use all that together
1: yeah i mean honestly like two-way street i'm if you if you have people you've even you've already interviewed that you might think like hey those would be good folks on you know my podcast i'm happy to to do that too um so yeah i mean generally the way that people i end up picking people for the interviews is like I'll either meet them at a conference and they're interesting. And so I'm like, hey, you want to do this? Um, or you know, or maybe uh, you know, it's just within my network, right? Frankly, of people that I know. Right. Um there, there was one guy that i I interviewed who's uh from Mexico City, and he had some cool stuff where he's he was managing uh they were I think they were kind of like a custom, maybe like a custom web app shop. Uh and they he used a whole bunch of, or they create a bunch of bot infrastructure to manage their cloud. So he, and this was like independent of Spark or Slack or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe he was using Slack. I'm not sure. Um, but he was like, yeah, when we have um, we have things monitoring our, yeah, our applications to make sure like the containers are in good health or what have you, and then some of the bots will actually proactively go and restart something. Uh, based on maybe hitting thresholds, so they've done a fair amount of automation to mitigate, um, you know, mitigate some of these problems. I mean, certainly Facebook does a ton of that as well. They have a whole, um, like their 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 uh, like site reliability engineering blog and stuff. Just like Google's and whatever are pretty impressive um, with the the kind of homegrown, cool kind of nerd out uh, <laughs> SRE talk. I bet. Um, that they do. In, in I mean, I think they manage something like 50,000 VMs. Um, so like being able to do this, uh, this sort of automated proactive, okay, we've seen this kind of profile of failure before now pff, let's just kill that VM and roll a new one or, you know, maybe it's a container or whatever. Um, so anyway, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, uh, I get into that stuff as well you could never (laughs) be doing
0: it on that scale if you weren't automating right so of
1: course yeah (laughs) automation automation is key
0: yeah so as we were kind of talking about you know uh, more advanced approaches um you know we usually ask our guests at some point you know what are you excited about that's going on in the industry or or what are you spending time on uh outside Mm -hmm. of your your core uh job requirements yeah
1: Yeah, so actually my my job's pretty cool because I have some latitude to to think about like where what are cool things and what are things that I'm interested in that I think will extend to our audience. So, um so recently I was I actually got inspired by one of the projects that one of my fellow evangelists, uh Matt Johnson did at um Cisco Live in um in Europe, so it was in Barcelona. And so he set up this um this environment where you could essentially do, it was called the black hat, white hat challenge. So you could be a real hacker and use like Kali Linux and real, real hacker tools um, to go through and um, try to hack essentially consumer um, IOT, IOT products. Um, And so he was able to, you know, run versions of the firmwares on these things that were, still vulnerable and so then allow the the actual person sitting down at the computer to run through these uh, to run through these hacks and I was like oh that's really cool and you know, I've I've always kind of been dabbling in that sort of thing and curious um, so after that I was like hey like help me out a little bit on getting me oriented on this stuff and so I uh, you know I grabbed Cali Linux I actually it's funny I have this um, this Wi-Fi. So this is this, um, these alpha, um, fi uh, cards. Mm-hmm. So this is actually like the one that the hackers, the hackers, you know, um, use because it's got, I don't know, you're able to inject, um, stuff into the, the Wi-Fi. So I can, with this kind of, uh, with this kind of, um, card, I can actually create a fake base station and do man in the middle attacks with it and stuff like that. Uh, which I was like well, that's pretty scary, (laughs) you know, just on my, like, okay. Uh, So, like, as I got exposed to some of the stuff, like, oh, here, it's like Kali Linux. It's got all this stuff around, like, spear phishing. So, you know, with the hacks that that were done during the, you know, the last election in the U.S., um, you know, there's, like, spear phishing tools. And so I was, like, I set one of those up a little bit, and I was, like, showed it to my wife. I just turned my laptop. I'm, like, hey, would you think this is Google trying to get you to... Uh, log in. She's like, yeah, it looks exactly like it. It's like, I was like, yeah, but look at the URL. It's like not Google. It's like a bad cert and all that. And she's like, Oh, and you know, so that in that case, like you just log in, it harvests your credentials and then redirects you somewhere real. Uh, and then you'd be, it'd be like, sorry, your login didn't work. So you just do it again. Um, so like all that social engineering stuff that's out there, I don't know. It's got it, it's gotten me very, um, very curious also of course adds to some paranoia um but uh, but like that's definitely security and cybersecurity is the space that more and more i think I mean, we've always talked in the industry like security is important right but i think now more than ever it's becoming very very apparent that security is one of the most fundamental things that we have to be considering in deploying our applications, especially you know public cloud, you know where things are, you need to have a very good security posture um, in those environments. Um, oh. So there's that. I mean, I love, I love like the, I've been doing a lot of Node.js programming for the last couple years. Um, I love that. Although I found it's funny, like Node.js has become it iterates so fast. That is really hard to keep up with, <laughs> um, sure. and and it's becoming more and more like non-functional programming. It's becoming more like a object-oriented programming. So it's just kind of funny to see it evolve. And then you know, like Java's kind of going somewhat the other direction with things like closure or whatever. So, I mean, the industry is very dynamic. Um, I like following that kind of stuff. I do like um, I do a class for for um, you know Cisco Lives typically on introduction to git so the version control system uh, so you know this is like why would anyone spend their time learning more about git but uh, that's one of the things I like to do <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit arcane but it's a cool it's a really cool like elegant tool um, and so I like I recently got a got an ebook that was by a guy um, Ian Weil, I think called um, learn git the hard way um it was like on lean and so i've been running through some of that like the beginner stuff i was like oh yeah i got that but then it goes into things like git bisect where you can actually use git uh check-ins to like do a bisect algorithm to get to the check-in where the bug was introduced um and i was like ooh, that's really cool so you know it's like more there's so much cleverness out there and so much um you know so much uh cool stuff that especially in those developer tool areas that, uh, you know, I just get, I get, I don't know. I get excited about it.
0: <laughs> That's good stuff. Hey, going back to your yeah. security, uh, yes. Chat there. Um, what do you think about the Facebook Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica scandal? Should I be deleting my Facebook mm. account?
1: Well, it's funny. I was going through Facebook looking at my apps that I had, you know, authorized, uh, just before this call. Cause I, I was like, I should look at this. <laughs>
0: right? part of me think, thinks that, and part of me just goes, "That ship has sailed, babe." You have so much information well, out there. You
1: yeah, know. it's interesting though. I, when I clicked on it, when I clicked to delete one, um, it will not be named, and I don't think I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see if my stuff got uh, compromised or I don't know, made 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 uh, uh, exfiltrated, you know, via the Cambridge Analytica apps. But um, uh, I think. I think Facebook said they were going to create something to try to try to at least give you some disclosure about uh, what what data was exfiltrated. Um, anyway, uh, so I was clicking on it, and it said, um, "This will delete you know access for this app to the uh, Facebook platform. Your data still may exist in the other ser- systems platform. Um, you know, you need to contact that vendor in order to." Um, in order to get it removed, learn more, right? So there was like no easy way to go. Yeah, so I'm gonna send some support email to, I don't know, like some startup right. that yeah, and be like, hi, like I'm deleting my app. I would really like it if you deleted my data from your thing. I mean, what can, like at that point, what can you do? There's, they're probably, maybe there's like four people and they're like, oh, this is the last thing I need to deal with. Um, Right. So, so the
0: lesson is think twice before you enable sharing that data rather than trying to fix the, it afterward.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I thought there was also an interesting um, article that I read that it was. Uh, it's it, We're sort of misnaming it um, as a privacy thing. It's actually a, like a data usage problem, not a privacy problem. Um, something right, like those Right,
0: because they lines. weren't hacked. They actually sold that data.
1: Well, yeah, I don't even know if they sold it. I think that um, by authorizing that app to be able to access the API on your behalf or whatever, then they could pull whatever data they could pull um, that Facebook allowed them to pull based on what you had agreed to. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's like a gray loop, a little loophole there.
0: Do you think Facebook did anything wrong? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg's in the in the news today apologizing. Should he be apologizing? Should they have done something? I think different? he should
1: give one one billion dollars to each of us that were affected. How about that? No. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I mean this this is maybe the lesson of of move fast and break things uh, as a philosophy. So, um, not to the there is a equilibrium, right? There's an equilibrium of uh, how do you you know how do you move fast? How do you do things that are innovative? Take some risks about um, technology choices or, or how things are implemented in order to like move ahead, whereas well, while maintaining, you know, as much sort of, I don't know, controls or ethics that you you can have. Um, you know, it's 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 this is a human problem, right? This isn't like a technology problem because essentially. Yeah, they could they could have no API and lock everything down. Um, and then that would probably solve the problem that this had, Yeah, um, this particular problem. I don't know that it would solve the ad problem right? that they have with people putting in ads. And I mean, yeah, they wouldn't maybe be able to target it as effectively. Right, because that's
0: the thing, right, is they're targeting but, it based on what preferences you've shown, whatever you've posted, what you've searched for on Facebook, mm-hmm. all those things, right?
1: Yeah, the targeting was Cambridge Analytica's targeting, right? Because they had the they had that data, which doesn't mean that Facebook couldn't have created the same kind of targeting algorithms and platform that Cambridge Analytica did to say like, yeah, you can target. I mean, I think they have a, a bunch of micro targeting built into the platform itself. Um, so, so I've never done campaigns on Facebook for marketing, so I don't know this as an expert by any means. But you know, so. So, what was your original question? Is is Zuckerberg uh, at fault? Uh, did is they that, do anything wrong?
0: Or, yeah, did, did they anything do anything wrong?
1: I mean, yeah, obviously they did something wrong because I think I think they they may have through omission, right, uh, not not informed us, right, as consumers of the platform, as effectively as they could have around the implications of when you click public or private or you know log into this thing, what's gonna happen to my data. Um, and you know, I think all along people assumed, I don't know about assume, but people had been told actually by Facebook that, you know, your private data is private and so on. Um, and that still may be true, uh, but you by granting access through this app, you it's a different, it's a different context and therefore it's a different um, privacy model. Uh, and people have complained about Facebook's privacy model by like for a long time, right? Because it's always been kind of like public working backwards to private, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as opposed to like private working forward, (laughs) um, you know, sort of the opt-out versus opt-in kind of model.
0: It's interesting because I don't think any of our data as an individual is that valuable. This is what this brought up for me. Okay, steal Ali Amagasu's data, you get my, my credit cards, charge a couple thousand bucks before the credit card company notice, you know, notifies me. Or, or maybe you send me some some ads that point me in the wrong direction. One person alone, not that big a deal. It's the, What's interesting is the when you have a mass, you know, when you have that critical mm. mass, when you have 50 million people's data and the ability to sway the opinions of a demographic within, you know america or wherever it is right that is the interesting part to me because i don't think we ever look at it that way we look at oh my god someone's gonna get my credit card numbers or you know they're gonna come by my house when i'm not home or things like that well
1: for sure you know so that's that starts rolling into the ethics of big data right and now in machine learning and you know artificial intelligence right it's all kind of starts to to get into those categories and it is a it is an uncharted territory i think I mean, the problem that I see is like, yeah. So politicians and the, I mean, the government could come in and do some things around regulation. Uh, I mean, I think adopting some regulations more akin to what's going on in Europe <laughs> probably, uh, probably is uh, is maybe overdue. Um, I think. I think, though, you know, it's hard to judge from afar. But like, are the people in? the positions of power to make assessments about this stuff. Are they, I mean, by majority sake, right. They're like 60 year old white guys, right. From that are lawyers. Right. (laughs) Like that's, that's who's in government typically. Uh, And, and shoot, you have, you have the Cambridge Analytica guy on tape, basically saying like, these guys aren't technologists. They don't understand. We're just gonna, we're just gonna move forward. Right. And they're, they're not going to know what the hell happened. Um, so yeah, i mean i I think it's it's a it's a problem that we face overall um you know, and I don't have the answer for it other I think than it's
0: just a wake up call for all of us that you know it's not yeah yeah that we don't just have value as individuals it's it's as a group we have value, and to certain uh-huh. to certain institutions. And that you know they're interested in manipulating us as a group or influencing us or or whatever. I that was a that was a light bulb moment mm-hmm. for me and, and really made me go okay. Check your echo chamber, girl.
1: Yeah, I you know I think we've always had that, right? I mean, we've had mass marketing for ages. It's just now um, it's more. It seems like it's more easily weaponized. It's more stealthily weaponized um, uh, because you know we're 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 being inundated across channel marketing channels like the marketing capabilities are so much greater than hey we all get time magazine and we all have this one page ad from this one thing and then be like hey neighbor did you see this ad like i don't understand why they're calling this co- uh, you know this person a communist you know or, or whatever like then you can have more conversations where it's like this stuff is like coming at you um uh in just the fire hose and so you go it it's maybe more subliminal too where you see this stuff and then over time it builds up where you go like well i really don't like you know clinton or i really don't like trump or whomever just based on seeing these things and it influencing you Subtly, right? Yeah. As opposed to even explicitly.
0: And yeah. And, and unlike in the magazine days, right? When we all got the same ad, now we get different ads. Mm-hmm. You know, our right. online magazine, I swear right. to God, Google knows some things that I'm not even done yet. I'm thinking <laughs> about doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'll start getting boot ads when I'm thinking about a new pair of shoes. I start getting, you know, mm-hmm. I had on a cat for all of five minutes when I started getting cat ads. You know, it's just incredible. Right. Right. So,
1: yeah, I know. I, uh, so, I don't know. I've I've kind of go back and forth on the should I delete Facebook concept or or any of them, right? I mean, whether it's yeah. Facebook or Twitter or what have you. Um,
0: yeah, I, don't I don't know, there's a lot Facebook of there's is a lot singularly responsible, right? There's right. If, if they have yeah. the the glitch, I'm going to say that Twitter's just as vulnerable so as all the rest, Instagram, mm-hmm. all of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I find a lot of utility in it in terms of staying connected to friends and stuff. I mean, I message people on Facebook that I haven't messaged in five years and I'm like hey you know like it's kind of weird to message you because Like I should be saying like here's what I've been doing over the last five years like I've said this to people and I was like and I but like I know what you've been up to and you so anyway Here's my question, you know And people are like yeah, totally cool. Like we just catch up (laughs) Uh, You know like because of all that passive information that we've been able to gather over the last five years, just, you know, in our friend network. Um, yeah. so I think, I think one thing is curating. I probably should go back and curate my Facebook for in particular, you know, my Facebook one, um, you know, versus like say Twitter, Twitter's more kind of designed to be open and public, whereas Facebook's maybe a little less, uh, it's, you know, it's supposed to be more real connections, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, I've got yeah. a friend who I'm going to visit in the Bay Area the next week. Well, I'm going up to the Bay Area for a Cisco thing next week. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I I have a friend I haven't seen since I moved away um, nine years ago. And I right. I absolutely just messaged her over Facebook. I know what's going on in your life. Let's catch up and have dinner. And she's like, okay, great.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that stuff's great. Or like, I'm in town and the location thing happens. And it's like, oh, Ashley's also in town. Like, And oh, wow, that's, you know, that's cool. And so... I've had some of those serendipitous moments that are that are really rewarding, um, you know. It fires enough dopamine in my brain, I guess, for that <laughs> that I'm like, oh, I want to keep using this this Facebook thing for that reason. Um, that
0: reward again.
1: Yeah, but shoot, my my 13 year old, she does not have a mobile phone. Uh, we're not getting her one. I mean, she has one uh, for, that's just Wi Fi, so she'll use it, you know, at home. Uh, but she can't take it to school. Like, we, I don't, we're not, we're like, probably high school. That's when we're going <laughs> to let her have a phone uh, That's with a cellular smart access. Move.
0: That is a smart move. I gave my kid one at 11 and I so regret it. Mm. Regret, it's, regret, regret it.
1: I mean, I regret giving her the one with Wi-Fi. Um, I can't imagine with the, the mobile. And well, it's once like, once they're Once that hella- cat's <laughs> out of the
0: bag, once that <laughs> exactly. cat's out of the bag, you can't, once a genie's out of the bottle, you cannot put it back.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you know the podcast uh, "Note to Self"? Yes. Yeah, that's uh, with Manush Zammarodi. Um, yeah, she's covers a lot of this stuff, and it's it's hard. I've thought of like, hey, I want to, I might start a meetup here in Denver about parenting in the digital age, and it's just it's just ridiculous how tricky it is um, because it's, you yeah. want to enable them, but you also, that, I mean, it's 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 uncharted territory for us put in someone that's a, like a naive 12 or 13 year old maybe they're less naive than i think you know but uh but yeah it's it's right they also have minimal
0: impulse ways. control right their cerebral cortex isn't mm-hmm. developing yet mm-hmm. so like to have so much access at their fingertips and to ask them to regulate it you know for one thing which i got over that there's all kinds of controls on my son's phone now <laughs> yeah it's just too mm-hmm. much to, to ask them and hope it works out and so yeah that is brutal that whole parenting with a phone business i (laughs) i the next kid is not getting her phone as young i can tell you that she's gonna pay the price for her brother's wrongdoing
1: yeah yeah i mean i got the ipad the original ipad and i my six-year-old or six-month-old at the time was like she was like she got it or maybe she was 18 months i don't remember well then the next thing i had a tv that had like icons on it and Mm -hmm. so her mental model was oh those are icons that i can touch so she walked up to the tv start touching them i'm like no it doesn't work that way on that screen (laughs) only on this screen so like their model their mental models are like formed already on how this stuff is supposed to work based on those exposures that we've given to them or that we have in in our world so uh pretty pretty crazy
0: and you're kind of (laughs) held hostage to everybody else's parenting model too right because Mm. You know, if you don't let your kid have a phone, at least in this area, at eleven years old, he's the only kid without a phone. Like it's it is well, my a
1: daughter's phone. the only kid without a phone. Yeah, and she's like, it's embarrassing that I have to ask to borrow the phone, and I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, There's
0: world problems, my little just, friend.
1: Just have her, just have your friend, you know. And she's she now she's like she texts me from other people's phones. Hey, it's you know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, perfect, this is good. But there are times where I'm like, Oh, I wish she had a number cause I need to call her cause I'm coming, I'm running late and I need to pick her up, you know, at this specific location or what have you. Right. So, but That's so why, far, we, got, see, that's why we
0: got suckered into getting the phone in the first place was for that reason. 99% yeah. of the reason the phone is used yeah. is not for that, but that yeah, is. How we so got
1: it. exactly. So one funny anecdote on that is we were at the, uh, the women's March last year in Denver and, um, And we went with some friends and we're like sitting there and the cell phone service was terrible because of course there's i don't know hundred thousand people all hitting four cell towers and uh and they're like well we want to go over here and then we want to go over here and we're like okay this is how we used to do it (laughs) at a time we're going to come back to this exact location and then we'll be able to find each other and people are like oh my god that is amazing (laughs) you know it's like you don't need a cell phone just set a time and a place and that's where you know that's how we got to parties <laughs> that's how we get back to <laughs> you know so it's like come on some of this old stuff still works <laughs>
0: oh that's so funny yeah well i would tell your daughter to be brave be strong um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah
1: i won't share this with her at all
0: <laughs> oh god yeah oh yeah my son would die um, well, I appreciate you going down this parenting rat hole with me. Um, yeah, no, I apologize great. to any listeners who don't have rat, ho- uh, who don't have rat holes, who don't have children. <laughs> um, all I can say is take this as advice for your future children. And, uh, right. but, but thanks for being on the show. Um, can you give people you your bet. Twitter handle again in case they want to follow you?
1: Yeah, I'll give you a few URLs. So yeah. the Twitter handle is, uh, at, uh, symbol, a Roach, a R O A C H. Um, the podcast, again, you can find it on, um, on iTunes, uh, it's at, it's just search for DevTools podcast, um, with Ashley Roach and then, or you can get to it at devtools.libsyn.com and that's L I B S Y N. Uh, and then, you know, do check out the new website for application developers. If you're one of those people at uh, developer.cisco.com slash app dev.
0: Cool. Thank you so much, Ashley. It was truly a pleasure.
1: And uh, I hope to run
0: Thanks into you at the next you. Cisco Live.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All Thanks right. again. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye-bye.